0: So, this um, opportunity this morning is to listen and uh, hopefully uh, encouragement to uh, trust in your own experience of this present moment and so like reflecting bringing bringing attention to the way it is and uh, rather than thinking or trying to figure out how it is and so when you try to think about what you're hearing or think about yourself and what you're feeling at this moment, then you, you get caught in the habits of, of uh, analysis, of uh, self-view, your own opinions, views, memories, reactions, and that's not reflecting that's not observing. It's merely uh, being caught in the stimulation that comes, or the reactions that you might have to what you're hearing or what's happening to you at this time. <coughs> so reflecting and awareness, sati is isn't uh, uh, something that we think about with something we recognize. It t- takes patience. Because the rational world, the thinking world, the personalities that we have are based not on patient uh, reflection on the way things are, but on holding to memories, views, opinions, and being caught in the momentum of our habits, emotional habits, our reactions. So, like, when one identifies even with Buddhism, you know, then this, uh, they, as a convention and as an identity, then we tend to get defensive or one, when, when we feel Buddhism is being attacked or being demeaned in any way or our particular view is being challenged, then we easily get caught into reacting to that. So, the attitude, say, of Sati Sampachanya is, uh, is attention, but this re- sense of relaxed openness. So, now just kind of tell yourself, kind of encourage yourself to just relax, uh, let go of everything. You don't have to prove or know or even understand what I'm saying, you know, just to open to the, the present in a, in a, this broad way not to anything in particular so when we say attention then we usually think attention to a particular thing to what i'm saying or to uh, some object but this uh, mindfulness isn't doesn't need an object it's not uh, that we have to pay attention to something but to just be in the state of attention, of awareness, which means being alert, mindful, and this is done through through a relaxation rather than a, a tr- an effort to try to pay attention. You know, whatever you're feeling right now—sleepy, or dull, or bright, or or um, whatever uh, emotional or physical experience that you're having right now, sati is aware of it. It is what it is. You know, bringing attention to this moment, this present reality. So, like the body, the the posture. Just by bringing it into this conscious, into consciousness. When I do this, then I'm aware of my where my legs are, hands, <coughs> if there's any tension or stress in the body. And it's, you know, and this isn't the effort to try to change it, but just by receiving it you know allowing it to be what it is rather than to if you feel tension to think you have to try to get rid of it or if you're feeling sleepy or dull that you should try to uh, conquer it or annihilate it this isn't anything about getting or controlling or getting rid of, but recognizing Listening, (coughs) this sense of opening the the sense of this broad spectrum of just paying attention through listening, not for anything, not trying to focus on any particular thing, on any sound, but just this sense of poised attention, openness, receptivity. And so these are words of encouragement, not commands or imperatives that I'm telling you you how you should be. But these are uh, encouragements pointing to that. So you're not trying to to, uh, tell you what to do. But just share my own knowledge from my practice, ways that I've... Uh, had insight and understanding of Dhamma that might be of benefit to you. Patient endurance is necessary. It means that we're, you know, the the reactivity, the habit patterns we have, restlessness or when things aren't the way we like or just reactivity. Um, we easily get caught into it. So uh, patient endurance is, uh, is uh, recommended. Being able to... Bear with, endure what the restlessness or the the any negative states or feelings you might be having at this time physical, mental, emotional because without patient endurance then we easily uh, you know we're uh, just helpless victims of, of the habit patterns, the conditioning of the mind and body. And just uh, subjected to the, their, their uh, impressions, and we react accordingly. So patient endurance allows us to to recognize reactions, habits, and uh, and enduring means we allow ourselves to to feel that and endure that impression. Allow it to be what it is, not trying to uh, get rid of it or just be moved by it. So this sattisampachana is a natural state. It's not, you know, you try to create it through conceiving it, you know, that it's something that you define and uh, and create an image of sattisampachana in your brain and then try to make yourself be that. That's missing the point. And that it's not, it's not something that you create but something that is quite natural in a natural state of being it's, uh, it's going allowing yourself to be rather than, uh, than trying to get some particular uh, idea that, you know, try to achieve something that you've already conceived of Or something that you remember, one of the kilesas of vipassana practice is uh, memories of previous insights or previous experiences through meditation. That we we have memory, we have them remember, and then we want to have it again. If it's a pleasant or uh, impressive memory that we're holding then the then the desire forms to try to, to get it again. So notice in when with insight, insight into Dhamma isn't isn't from memory, it's, it's immediate, it's real, it's natural, immediate. and then we remember it. Then we, then we uh, once we remember something, then if we're not aware of how memory works, then we tend to uh, meditate, practice meditation with the aim of, of uh, uh, remembering some moment, some insight we had previously and then practicing in order to, to have that same experience again. <coughs> so we do have retentive memories, and, uh, and this, uh, this is a great gift, but also, out of ignorance and attachment, it can blind us, always living in a realm of, of memory. that's why in trusting yourself, in, in the sense of opening and trusting, uh, you know, not in, in what you think you are, any kind of personal uh, criticisms or attitudes you have about yourself, but it's like a natural state of being that, that uh, you can trust in that you have right now that is not something that you will attain through practicing meditation. So even the word meditation becomes uh, another, you know, thing we have to do. We, we, We define it or we we have views, opinions about what meditation is and how one should meditate. And what's good meditation and what's bad meditation techniques and and various uh, things that we've used you know we form opinions about them and and then see meditation is always something that we've got to do becomes another compulsive can become a compulsive habit But the uh, Pali word Pawana, <coughs> is, uh, meditation is an I- English word. So it's a kind of catch-all word for any, anything you do with your mind almost. <coughs> pawana is actually the uh, insight into the fourth noble truth or developing, cultivating the the path or the Eightfold Path, or the way of non-suffering. So Bhavana, then, is, isn't a technique or a kind of a method of any sort. It's the, the path is, is the way of mindfulness in the present. That's that's the only way it could be it's not it's not a, like a path in, in the world where you you have to uh you know it goes from here to there but in this the sense of path is 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 uh you know it's a can be a confusing word in itself because we immediately think of the path to London, or the path to Birkenstead, or someplace like that. But the immediacy, you know, mindfulness, the path to the deathless, awareness, there's so many of these uh, in, the, in the scripture, you know, ways of, of conveying this sense of immediacy, of here and now, of timelessness. Of pure presence, uh, and which is is a matter of of opening and recognizing rather than of attaining and achieving. And of course, to uh, a mind that uh, a self that's very much based on uh, the idea of achieving and attaining, this is very frustrating. You know, People love to be told methods and techniques and what to do next and, and how to get this state and that state because this is what we're used to. Our conditioned uh, personality is very much based on this. You know, you, you, you do this in order to get that as a result. And that's the way the world operates. The conditioned realm, the dualistic realm—you know—so you, you know, you—it has its conventional reality. But as, uh, uh, but when we apply that, you know, without awareness, without wisdom, to the pavana to the idea, of, to to meditation itself, then, of course, it—you uh, know—it it, it we can't attain states. Through concentration. I'm not saying you can't, but though anything you attain is also something that's uh, you know that has its beginning and end. So it's it's whatever you get, whatever you attain, you lose. So the idea of attaining nibbana is uh, is like. Um, Contradiction in terms though when, when people say uh, uh, you know in the before the blessing in the mealtime, they say uh, don has been offered for this person may she attain Nibbana. <laughs> I always feel a bit bemused by this. But it's really interesting to observe how how words affect us, like attaining, achieving. These are, you know, these I understand very well because my personality is definitely uh, programmed for that. As a person, as a real attainer and achiever, goal-oriented. Uh, as my personality is, is like that. So when when I first uh, came into uh, the Buddhist meditation scene, uh, that was a natural way to interpret everything I read in the scriptures was through attaining and achieving or getting rid of, you know, kill the kilesas, uh, fight the forces of Mara. Uh, I mean, these are these are the, the kind of, this is the kind of language that I'm conditioned to to understand and be motivated by that, <laughs> so uh, that's it's one thing. would start out with you have to start out from where you are. So the uh, attaining and achieving mode did uh, help at first. It got me started, and certainly, uh, you know, I could. I quite enjoyed the challenge and the the whole thing at first just as on a personal level. Being able to control the mind, get rid of the negative states, attain the blissful ones. <laughs> but then as uh, you know, as they as one gets one gets weary of this, you know, it's a You know, you can only do it for so long, then you don't want to do it anymore. Just, uh, you know, after you've attained the states you've you've wanted. Or maybe you haven't. You just feel, you know, you can't do it, or the situation you're in doesn't allow for it. So the whole uh, self-view... Uh, is, que- is is put into question. This is the anatta. Uh, like when we is the is the um, insight looking into the nature of things. The four foundations of mindfulness. Uh, these these uh, scriptural teachings uh, where we use the three characteristics anicca, dukkha, anatta. Is, is, the, uh, is the skillful means to break down, uh, break through the assumptions, the, the habit patterns, the, the, the self-view. When you attach to perceptions, to, to memories, to concepts and things like this, then this tends to fix things in your mind. It's like the sense of a self, your self-view. You tend to see yourself as a cert- in a certain way because you you have memory, and so you know we see, we describe ourselves as you know, modern ways of talking about ourselves. Is you know, I'm a hatred type or dosa type or a lopa, I'm a greedy type or I'm a moha type <coughs> or we see ourselves through a, our astrological uh, problem or we see ourselves as through the you know the position we're in through the through the assumptions we have about ourselves that we've acquired through our childhood, up to the present, sense of self worth. So, you know, there's a question, there's problems around should you develop the jhanas first and before you do vipassana, or can you just go straight into vipassana without the jhanas, or uh, and then. The as scriptural people can back up both sides through scriptural quotes. So concentration practices, developing what they call jhanas, is, is, you know, certainly skillful means. But if it's done always from the self-view, <coughs> you know, me attaining jhanas, this I question. Me getting my samadhi, me getting my meditation practice together. This, this, uh, this, uh, this brings up a sense of, of me as a person. So in uh, sangha life, in monastic life, just uh, c- reflect on the the uh, the, the what, what is the point of being a, a a monk or a nun, a samana? Is it to just change your appearance so that you 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 wear a robe and shave your head and and then you make yourself into a Buddhist monk a Buddhist nun? A and a forest tradition type of person. You know, is that is that what we're doing? We're just you know changing costumes <coughs> from a lay person. We become a monastic person, or is a uh, monastic life? What you know when we. we on the samanasanya on the attitude of alms mendicancy and that is is not to to reinforce of I am an alms mendicant now and I'm I'm a celibate brahmacharya and I'm a a bhikkhu I'm a siladara I'm a junior senior I'm anagarika samanera this kind of uh, this, of course, feeds the the uh, self-view. I'm Ajahn Sumato, I'm senior monk. This is, a, you know, this is a self-view, isn't it? So I'm using the the position, the uh, the convention, the everything for a reinforcement of myself as being a person, personality. Or is it, you know, how to use it so it doesn't do that? So I can become just a kind of meditation master or teacher. And this, this of course, the personality view is, is reinforced. But in alms mendicant, is uh you know isn't is like some like a beggar really someone dependent we could even make that into some kind of arrogant position. I am a alms mendicant I depend on the goodness of others for my survival and and make that into some some identity also because that's the way language works the, Concepts, conventions are all limited, and so it's having, learning how to use the convention for with awareness, not to just identify with the convention and become a Buddhist monk, a Buddhist nun, but to use the convention to to reflect the the identities that we do, the way we can identify with it, the, the uh, assumptions we make from it. So the the personality is, my personality is very much conditioned to to, to be one that feels confident personally when I'm being, when I feel successful, appreciated, accepted, admired, um, things are going well, and uh, all that, and on a personal level I feel more confident. Uh, I feel very unconfident when things aren't going well, when I'm being criticized. Being challenged, being uh, th- uh, considered a failure, not being good enough, then my personality—I get very unconfident and get depressed. So the personal uh, explanation of life is very dependent on on conditions supporting me as a person, me in my position me is Ajahn Sumato. Then, then everybody says Ajahn Sumato's great teacher, good monk, all that. Then, personally, that's quite builds confidence. Ajahn Sumato doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. He's not even a proper Buddhist. He's, uh, you know, he's a he's a loose cannon in the sangha. He's, uh, you know. And then, then uh, these kind of criticisms, are, you know, on a personal level, make me feel lose that lose confidence. But the awareness, isn't it, of this, of feeling personally confident or personally not confident, you know, such as I'm saying, "Do I want to live my life depending?" on the approval and of others and feeling successful and and that or and then uh, you know trying to live my life always with that in mind to to please others to to get the praise and the encouragement that i need personally in order to feel all right because that's very unstable uncertain You know, so there's always the possible criticism or challenge, <coughs> or gossip. There's a rumor going around Bangkok these days that I've disrobed, <laughs> 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 and these rumors occur quite regularly. You know, and tomatoes disrobed, so. This is, uh, you know, people. I mean, I find this amusing because I have no, you know, absolutely no desire to disrobe or even, uh, you know, have any. You know, this is not a a problem for me, but yet people can spread rumors and the, and uh, opinions and views about you that can be quite harmful. Especially when you're in a, in a prominent position, you're kind of sitting duck for people to shoot. But in the, in the worldly life, then, that, then the, the person just to know m- how my personality works you know, I found with, with Ajahn Chah, uh, he was very skillful, you know, like uh, encouraging and gathering me in and, and uh, getting me to kind of, you know, see the value of monastic life, of keeping the Vinaya, of uh, practice, and the way it all integrated and came together in the uh, monastery, in the tradition. And so then, that was very much appreciated. Also on the ego level, it's you know it made me confident. You know, I have a good teacher. I'm accepted. I'm a member, appreciated uh, by the sangha and by the lay people. Uh, I'm supported. I feel good about myself uh, in this way. So that was you know very much appreciated in the beginning period. But then the aim was to really look at the self, not to just just to you know spend my life trying to sustain the illusion of myself and, and try to hold on to, to the position or, or demand that, that this be an ongoing experience, that I'm always accepted, admired, respected, uh, member of the community as the kind of be-all and end-all of, of monastic life. So the, the uh, initial acceptance, appreciation on that personal level meant quite a lot to me. Uh, but then, over time, things changed and criticisms, uh, the kind of uh, all the personal relationship and, and so forth would, would change in ways oftentimes I didn't like. But the of reflective ability was the thing that uh, Nung Pong Chao was always uh, encouraging the whole life was 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 for this alone. The monastic form, the the way we lived our daily life in the in Watpa poem was was for this awareness. And to develop this awareness through the ups and downs on a personal level, the successes and failures and the challenges are to, to one's personality. Uh, the Po Cha. I, when I started, when I first started meditation, and was maybe a year and a half before I met Ajahn Cha, so much of the attitude I developed was in achieving and attaining and getting jhanas and developing concentration in order to do the Vipassana and so forth, so that this uh, this whole mindset was was very much uh, the underlying influence in practice and then in uh, when i met lung po cha you know and asked him about that and he he was he wasn't interested in that but in in uh, learning to just surrender you know he said to learn the vinaya <coughs> And to uh, do the, the way we you know fit into the life of the monastery. And then the, the life in the monastery was based on the you know the, the reflection on four requisites on the, the uh, you know the, the morning pujas and evening pujas, the way we reflect. Sankarani cha, Rupang Anichang, cha, things like this, these kind of uh, repetitive chants. So the 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 life was more you know, like learning how to sustain yourself as a monk, how to make your own robes, dye your robes in the natural dyes that they use there and arms around and um, alms round in, in the routine life of a Thai Forest Monastery and he never said anything about developing jhanas to me, ever so finally I went and asked him about it and he he, he emphasized that Developing jhana factors. Vidaka, vichara piti, sukha, Ekagata. Now how do, how do you develop jhana factors? Uh, you know, and in, in this is, when you really, really uh, reflect on it, these are relinquishments also. You know, it's a, it's a relinquishing process rather than an attaining one. So when I trying to attain uh, concentration through the sense of uh, you know of my motivated by my personality and my and the habits that come from that, then I was always uh, you know through a lot of control, I could get concentrated and uh, you know but I had to really be in control and and uh, and felt very frustrated when things would get out of control where with the attitude of Ajahn Chah it was much more not trying to do that you know there was you know no matter what we always had to go on the arms round unless we were too sick to walk or something and then uh in the afternoon we always had to work with the Everything was very primitive in those days, uh, drawing water from the well, and it always demanded group effort, working together. So he didn't even want pumps put on the wells. Many people offered to put pumps so that you could just pump your own water. You wouldn't have to depend on anyone else. When you needed water, you just go, uh, use a hand pump. But he, he used it like a pulley on a rope. And in old kerosene tins they'd use, there's no electricity, so they had, they used uh, paraffin for lanterns and things like that. So there's a lot of these uh, tins that they'd make into uh, water receptacles and you'd lower it down on on a rope. It'd take several to pull it up, it's quite heavy. And then put it on a, a, a bamboo pole and two monks, you know, one in front, one in back. would carry these, these buckets of water to the various bathing places, to the kitchen, uh, supplying the the monastery's water needs. And this was uh, this we had to do every day. Together. So, you know, where my idea of attainment and achievement was very much based on my first year experience, where I didn't have to work. I had all the, the the time in my kuti just to practice samadhi. So I, you know, I, I liked that. I just left alone, don't bother me, don't have to work, don't have to socialize, and, uh, and just uh, develop samadhi, which I, you know, went through various various emotional extremes at that time but that was my, my idea at the time of real practice real serious practice going to Wat Bapong, I began to wonder because there was there was always something to do you know you always had to go on the arms round always had to work in the afternoon relentless we always had to there is imperative that we attend the pujas morning and evening. So there is a lot of compulsion and pressure on on us to to conform to this routine. Which I found uh, quite you know, at first I didn't. I thought it was just getting in the way, that it was. Uh, Counterproductive because I had my own views about what practice really is—intensive practice. So then uh, I would become disgruntled and and that and go to Ajahn Chah and, and uh, he would. Uh, he wouldn't relent in any way to my request. Uh, so if I was going to stay there, I had to just fit in to the way it was. Now then, the the reflection on the four requisites, on the the uh, you know the impermanence of condition, phenomena on. Uh, uh, the nature of the body, the the Asupa meditations, um, all of these things were oftentimes uh, chanted. You know, at first they didn't. Uh, when I first went there, they were just chanted in Pali, and then uh, later they they uh, they translated into Thai, so that you chant one line of Pali in the translation in Thai. But at first I didn't understand either, you know, Pali or Thai. (laughs) So I did have to figure it out pretty much on my own. But the actual, what Lung Po Cha was pointing to was contentment in the the form, you know, non-resistant. Learning to surrender from this egotistical desire to attain and achieve and get and control and, uh, uh, you know, to letting go of all that. Becoming a simple monk. And even though that can sound even romantic, being a simple monk, you know, is not a, is certainly a, a pleasant ideal. Actually, uh, my personality would like to be a simple monk uh, if it's a special thing, because it is it sounds good. but to be a simple monk, the reality of that was uh, was different because there was so much uh, so much of myself involved in it, in in trying to to figure it out and achieve and attain, even attain simplicity. So these are the the reflection on the four noble truths. You know, this was this was uh, the the kind of. Reflections we had over and over again on the, the Four Noble Truths. The suffering, the cause of suffering. And realizing the way of non-suffering. So this takes a reflective capacity. You can't make yourself that way, huh? on the personal level. I can't make myself a contented person, a simple monk. I can pretend that I am. I can, you know, you know, I can act like I am uh, that way, but that, that isn't getting to the, the, the cause of suffering, to suffering and its causes. It's merely, uh, you know, another delusion trying to to make myself into another ideal, monastic ideal. So the, that's obviously doesn't work. You know, you can, you can fool yourself some of the time, but but then there's always something that's going to really challenge you. You know, no matter how simple and content you think you are, there's, there's uh, you know, on a personal level, then beware, there's something going to happen that's going to really um, throw you off balance. So, the aim is to, is, you know, to, to, to cultivate this awareness and then the jhana-factors develop from this simplicity, you know, from this from sense of, of not striving, of not trying to get and attain, through, through being free from just, you know, endless kind of obsessions about trying to get something or get rid of something. So in, in, as one appreciates and finds joy in the life of monasticism, then, then the jhana the factors are naturally the result of that. You feel a lot of pity or, or rapture, happiness, contentment that come quite naturally through relinquishment rather than through control and attainment. Now, in the world to this day, there are many monks say that Ajahn Chah taught like this and taught like that. So, and I'm not—I mean, a lot of what they say I can't relate to from my own experience. (coughs) And this is just sharing my experience with Ajahn Chah. I'm not saying that I'm the the foremost authority on how Ajahn Chah taught. but uh, <laughs> but uh, this is what i've learned from it from uh, living with him now the the Buddhist teaching of course, is you know the the uniqueness of Buddhism, what makes Buddhism uh, unique in the in the Pantheon of religions is that it, it is it's it's, uh, it's not an attaining style it's not theistic it's not it's not uh, trying to attain uh, some kind of desired state so that the the Four noble truths are about very banal, ordinary human experience that we all have all the time. You know, every day we suffer in some way, dukkha of some kind. Just the feeling of you know of doubt and and dissatisfaction, or complaining mind, or or uh, feeling intimidated, or envious, or whatever the fears and desires that we have, part of our human uh, condition, are then pointed to in in this way of of a noble truth, rather than as as just uh, bad karma that I have to get rid of. If I think I've got to get rid of my suffering on a personal level, I can see no possible way to do that as a person. I can understand the ideal, you know, of being free from all suffering. That's an ideal, certainly. You know, beautiful. But, but it is an ideal. The reality, then, is recognized through awareness. The dukkha, the first noble truth, is recognized, you know, not analyzed, not personalized and not with the attempt to get rid of it or think that I shouldn't suffer or create any any complications around it, just to understand it. Dukkha is like this. So when I, when I let go of my attempts to figure out why I'm suffering, when I stop doing that, then I just recognize in, in this realm of my personal personality conditioning, a sense of just dis-ease all the time. There's something incomplete. Recent translation of, I've read of somebody's translation of Dukkha, is lack. The sense of lack or incompleteness. Something missing. And the kind of anxiety that comes from that is wanting fulfillment, wanting completion. So then, um, then we can seek uh, ways of, you know, trying to find, com- you know, complete ourselves through endless analyses, therapies, relationships, uh, adventures, and whatnot. The ways of, uh, that are quite commonly used to to uh, fill in that lack. <coughs> or the buddha was to me the buddha was pointing to the lack itself as the first noble truth not that it that, that, you know not in a judgmental way but just to to be conscious of it understand it recognize it because if we don't recognize it then we we operate from reacting to it there's the idea that I should find completion, I should be fulfilled in my life. I need something else to make me feel complete and whole. Uh, the perfect person, the perfect partner, the perfect situation, the perfect teacher, perfect religion, Whatever. So then, the the Ajahn char would, you know, challenge us, like, you know, the, when we'd get restless about Wat Papong, you know, you'd get bored with staying in the same place. And of course, the way they they destroyed the food there, you know, the stories I've told about how they Lumban Chah mixed it all up, and so it was absolutely horrible food you got, and. Uh, Nothing tastes worse than, than pouring all kinds of pork and fish and chicken curries all together. <laughs> and, and so the, the food was an easy, uh, was an easy uh, um, one to say, you know, uh, uh, to feel discontented with Wat Bapong. Because all the other branch monasteries had better food than Wat Bapong. So, uh, you know, there's, there's be discontented because, you know, going could also blame Ajahn Chah in a kind of sadistic way, <laughs> do that. And yet, in the long run, the challenge was there, it was the contentment, wasn't that I ever liked it, liked the food. but. I recognized that I could learn to eat it and that, that my contentment was, was not in trying to find a place where I like the food better, but in being content with what is offered, that kind of, of reflection. Now, I couldn't make myself do that, even though I understood the ideal of I it. Mean, it's just through letting the discontentment become conscious. and then thinking about a better place you know a better monastery being aware of that of, of conceiving that some other place is better and so more like the attitude of insight into developing this this is this is good enough the way it is for this understanding of dukkha Because when I really reflected, I didn't see you know that i you know I could see I was creating all kinds of problems around the you know didn't like the food, but that was I created that dislike. I created my suffering around the conditions that I was living in. And this, uh, I thought Ajahn Chah was very skillful in, in, uh, in getting me to see that because it was so easy, you know, to, to blame, to see, put the blame outwardly. You know, I'm discontented and because of the food or the weather's too hot or too much work and things like this. So I, you know, it's easy for me to even justify and make a good case to leave, to go someplace else because uh, of these factors. But when I really took the position of the Samana, then I realized it was adequate. You know, the four requisites were adequate. <coughs> and the Dhamma was what was being taught and encouraged there. So in in this way, you know, the contentment came through that kind of reflection. And through recognizing how I create discontentment, I create my, my suffering. Now that's quite an insight to see that, you know, that, that, that uh, because uh, I'm, you know, culturally conditioned to always blame external things for my suffering. Or I mean, can blame myself as a person. I'm My personality, my experience of life and things like that. I Because of my parents or my... didn't get the best of everything in my life, then I suffer because of all the things that were imperfect in the society, in the family, and all, and all like that, which we do a lot in the West, seek to blame. But in terms of the reality of this moment, you know, the here and now, the suffering... You know, is it, is it because you're sitting here and um, because of the monastery or the, the group or the tradition or the this or that or is it just, you, you know, your desire for something, wanting it to be better, not wanting it to be the way it is, wanting not wanting yourself to be the way you are, not wanting this moment to to be wanting it to end wanting uh, something not wanting something so these are these these you can only recognize through reflecting on it it's not a position you take on the intellectual level it's not a you know a, a, an attitude that y- you know in a, that you operate from, but you reflect on what this first noble truth really is in your own experience. So even if you know, if I'm abusing you right now, I'm calling you all kinds of horrible names, humiliating you at this moment, and then, and you say, "I'm suffering because Ajahn Sumedho is a." is a tyrant. He's an insensitive, selfish, uh, conceited, arrogant bigot. And he doesn't like me and he's persecuting me. And then you say, I'm suffering because of him. Or, you know, even if that, uh, you know, I'm not prone to, to do that. But even if if that's happening to you, what is the suffering really? It is the Aversion, anger—you create in your mind. You know, so like the the Christian, uh, the Christian example of being crucified, and then Jesus being crucified, and you think these people are persecuting me. All these Romans and Jews and that—they're they're putting nails in my body, humiliating me, stripped naked, uh, publicly uh, humiliated as a criminal. What worse thing could happen? <laughs> you know. So it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, and certainly you may have a ju- you know, you can justify your your anger and aversion to to the people doing it to you. But then what made Jesus not just another, you know, human being that then blamed the world for his suffering was the uh, recognition. They they forgive them for they know not what they do. And it's not that it wasn't blaming, was it? You horrid, nasty people, how dare you treat me like this? The Messiah, after all. <laughs> <coughs> then, uh, in the, just in the, uh, the surrender to the, to the restriction, you know, that's quite in uh, Christian uh, symbolism, isn't it? The surrender to the restriction of the cross and the situation. I mean, that's a very extreme example, which I hope none of us will ever have to endure. Uh, and and because of its extremity, sometimes it's hard to relate to it in our own lives. You think of it always as suffering, as, as a, something on a grand scale, like, like being crucified. But, you know, the Buddha's bringing suffering into just the ordinariness of being human, breathing, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, uh, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching you know the the ordinariness of daily life and the suffering we create uh, you know that is just you know not that nothing compared to being crucified and publicly humiliated and and uh, despised like the Christian example. So then the the um, emphasis on on the ordinariness of or mindfulness is not a, a a highly attained state, it's not kind of fantastic or something to congratulate yourself with. You know, I'm a very mindful person. I'm more mindful than you are. <laughs> It's not the prerogative or a gift of, of through uh, special uh, being a special kind of person. The natural state, and this is where then we we can reflect on the reality of this moment: the suffering, the discontentment, disease, doubts, worries. About ourselves, about the world, about anything, whatever. You know, we're 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 looking, we're we're awakening to suffering, not, uh, you know, of any particular extreme, but just the reality of this sense of ignorance, lack, uncertainty, insecurity. That is part of uh, our human state. that is natural to this human state until we awaken to it. So there is a way out of it, isn't it? That through understanding, through recognizing, not through changing everything so that we feel secure and safe and appreciated and and create the utopian society, you know, where everything is as it should be. And how many desperate attempts have been made in our own lifetime, towards creating perfect utopian societies, that uh, increase the suffering. You know, just uh, the ideal of how trying to make a perfect society is uh, is an ideal, but the realities of this moment do not demand perfection on the conventional level. It just Reflecting on the way it is. Learning to, to um, cultivate this way of awareness. First to recognize it and then to develop it. Not that most people don't recognize the awareness. Don't really see uh, it you know it's not that they're not aware, but it's not it's not noticed not uh, appreciated in in this way then we're really you know this is a very special opportunity to to really recognize realize this way, and as we affirm that recognize it then we can cultivate that we do it in our daily life just through the 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 daily life we live here at Amarbhati. but until you recognize it and then of course your your life here will be a series of ups and downs and highs and lows and so forth and th- and that's because that's the way you're conditioned to, to experience life through the extremities